All right. Well, hey, good morning again, guys. My name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here uh, at the Hub City Church. We are so glad you're uh, here to worship Jesus with us this morning. I just have a few announcements for you, some of which have been mentioned already, but I just want to drive them home again here. Uh, first of all, night of worship is tonight. Please come. Yeah, please come and join us for that. Uh, man, our band is great, aren't they? Uh, they've worked really hard to prepare uh, for tonight as well. And we have uh, child care lined up for our younger kids. Actually, I think they're going to be able to provide child care for like second grade and below. So that's pretty cool uh, so that we can all come together and, and have an encouraging time of corporate worship through singing and prayer. Um, uh, also, uh, your community group, just so you know, your community group uh, will not be meeting in their usual location tonight. They'll be here instead. So uh, we've really tried to incentivize this for you. Same time, uh, 5.30 is when it'll start. So just, just come worship instead, okay? It's going to be a really good time. Uh, we're really looking forward to it, looking forward to seeing you tonight. So um, the, the second thing is our, our 2024 vision meeting is next Sunday. Uh, it'll be directly following the service. Again, child care will be available for that should you need it. Uh, for your younger kids, and lunch will be provided for all, probably public subs, so if you don't come, you'll miss that. Um, but also, it is going to be a time to just um, think together in the same direction, thinking about the year that is in front of us and what we think our uh, direction and our clear uh, biblical ob objectives should be for this year, as well as some uh, important things that you're going to want to know about if this is your church home or if uh, you're interested in making this your church home. So once again, if you're not yet a member but you want to know hey, what's going on in the life of the church and what are we looking towards? Please come. We'd love to have you uh, for that. We're an open book, okay? You can see all our, all our family business. That'll be next, next week after the service. And the last thing is uh, just a quick church merch update. Uh, we're ordering new shirts. If you want one, make sure to put your order in before this coming Tuesday, the 31st. Uh, that's the deadline. On Tuesday, we'll place the order and it will then be too late for this batch. So maybe get your order in on Monday night at the latest. Uh, they are $18 a piece. Uh, I don't think I've said this previously, but if you want a shirt and $18 is steep for you for a shirt, uh, we can help you out. So just let, just put your order in and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But um, also we do have some new hats in as well um, that we sold almost all of last week. So there are a few left. If you want a hat, let us know. Grab that on your way out. Um, it's, again, it's not that we're not going to order new shirts or hats at some point, uh, but we are trying to do it all in one batch here. So uh, you can go on the Church Center app or our Facebook page, and you can see that order, that, um, that link, and uh, just order what you want, and then you can pay in the normal ways that you would pay for things via the app or whatever. So, all right. Well, this morning we are continuing on in our series, Therefore. Today is week four of six. And to put it plainly, this is a series about what you should be doing with your church if you believe the gospel. That is, uh, if you're a born-again believer in Christ, a Christian. Uh, even if uh, Hub City Church is not your church, that's okay. Whatever church you are a part of or that you become a part of, these six things uh, that we call our missional measures are things that the scriptures tell us are absolute practical uh, implications of the gospel. That means they apply to all Christians everywhere without exception. And uh, if you're not a Christian, then uh, these things do not apply to you. And we don't want you to think that you need to do them in order to be considered like a good religious person. Um, that's not how Christianity works. Um, just like if you 
You know, let's say you want to be a cow, you know, you can't go out and just start saying moo and, you know, eating grass. And I mean, you could do those things, you know, and, and sure, cows do those things, but um, they do them because they're cows already. Uh, in the same way, these missional measures or um, these measures for gospel-centered disciples, the Bible says we don't do them in order to become Christians. But those who have become Christians already by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, these people will do them. Okay, um, If that doesn't make sense to you, well, hang around. Hopefully it'll click at some point, okay? Um, anyway, uh, thus far we've discussed uh, a few of these. We've discussed committing to meet often in biblical community. We've talked about serving our church family consistently, giving cheerfully and regularly to the mission of the church. And today we'll be talking about engaging in ongoing opportunities for spiritual growth. So let's pray and we will get into it. Father, Thank you, God, for another Sunday morning together as Jesus' church. Lord, we're so grateful for the gospel that has given us the grace of a new life because of Jesus and what he has done. And Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit-inspired word that has not left us to figure um, all of this out on our own, how to live, but by your power gives us everything that we need for life and godliness, and not just life as individual Christians, but life with one another as the body of Christ. Thank you for uh, the blessing that the church is to the church. Lord, we want to be a church that is pleasing in your sight, and that is abiding by the measures that you have laid out for us. So this morning, God, as we get into this concept of spiritual growth, Lord, please help me. Help me explain faithfully this principle from your word and expound clearly and compellingly uh, what it should look like for us to be engaged in it. Lord Jesus, we want to be growing, to be more effective and fruitful for the mission that you have given us. We want to be moving towards maturity. So please help us to that end and empower us to uh, put in the grace-driven effort that is required for that because, uh, God, we love you. And we want to see you glorified in our lives individually, but our, our lives collectively as this local church. So we pray all of this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right. Well, maybe you have noticed that on the front of our building, uh, under the big white cross, there are the words, Jesus is everything. That's kind of a sweet monument to the early days of our church where we had a lot of new believers coming in and being saved and, and baptized. And they would often, when they were asked their testimonies of, you know, hey, who is Jesus to you? They would say, well, you know, he is, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's God. Uh, and to me, really, he's everything, meaning uh, he's the most important thing about my life now. Everything fits in place under him, under his gracious lordship. And while we uh, don't have that phrase, Jesus is everything, we don't have that phrase anywhere else in, you know, in our building or anywhere in our vision documents, the essence is still totally maintained here, I think, because Jesus is still, in fact, everything to us. In our mission statement, we say that we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel and who abide in Christ, that is, who draw their new life uh, in the Spirit from Jesus, in particular, his words, because there is no other way. There's no other way. There's no other name 
in heaven or on earth by which men can be saved. No one uh, else has the words of eternal life. Christianity is exclusive in that way. Uh, we're not mean about it, but you, you can't truly follow Jesus and think that there are other ways to know God because Jesus himself says there aren't, right? The only way to the Father is through him. That's uh, true initially when we first believed, and uh, Jesus says it's true as we continue on in our faith as well and as we begin to grow. He says in John 15, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches, just as the branch can't bear fruit unless it's attached to the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing, right? Meaning nothing truly fruitful or effective for his kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. And let me uh, be really clear about this. Jesus expects his disciples to be fruitful and effective for the sake of of the gospel and his kingdom. He does expect that. I was just reading in Matthew's gospel this week where Jesus tells the, the famous parable of the sower. So let me read that to you really quick uh, because it's pretty foundational to the rest of what we're going to discuss today. In Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, I'm going to read starting in verse 3. It says, uh, And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Now, I've preached an entire sermon on this parable because there is a lot there. 
uh, that could be dug into. And I encourage you to do that if you haven't. But that's not the direction we're going to go today. I just want you to see the big overarching point that Jesus is making about those who are truly his disciples. And I want you to see this because I want you to see it from Jesus himself. Okay? Our main text this morning is in 2 Peter. But I want you to see that the things Peter is saying have their roots in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is saying that he is the sower who is throwing out gospel seeds to all who will listen. And he says our hearts are like soil. There's uh, nothing faulty about the gospel seed. It's perfect. But what it does in the lives of the people who hear it has to do with the state of their heart. If their heart is fertile ground or not. So running down through the different soils very quickly, he says those who hear the gospel, but they don't really care enough to think through it and take hold of it, uh, and so they don't understand its importance, that's the seed that the bird comes and eats, right? The enemy snatches it away, and they just kind of go on with their lives. No different. Those who believe and are excited for a little while, but then they kind of lose interest and don't follow through with following Jesus long term, that's the seed on the rocky ground, Right? The roots never grew down and got enough nutrients. And so the sun is the difficulties of life, persecutions even. It dries them up, and they don't continue on. Those who seem to really know and believe the gospel intellectually, but whose lives never really change, these are the seeds sown among thorns. The cares and the deceitfulness of riches, they they choke out the seed as it begins to grow. And so it's never able to really reach maturity like it's supposed to. These people are just too preoccupied with their daily lives to grow. But Jesus says, when the gospel seed is sown in good heart soil, it grows up in the truth of his word until eventually it begins to be fruitful. Right? He says uh, there are varying degrees of fruitfulness. Some are going to bear a lot, and some are going to bear a little comparatively. But for all whose heart soil is right, and that stays cultivated by the gospel, they grow. They grow, and they bear fruit. So uh, this is critical to understand about Jesus' teaching. He's very often preaching to help people understand these principles about what the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of people under his kingship looks like okay so here's the first point i think needs to be made today god has ordained in the world as well as in his kingdom that living things grow and reproduce as a sign of health okay it's pretty straightforward right this past sunday we were talking in our community group about how God, uh, we're in Genesis, and we're talking about how God is a master artisan, right? Whose work we see all through the, just the mind-boggling breadth of creation, but also in the intricacies of creation. As human beings, you know, we're, we're little C creators, and we create because our God creates, and we're made in his image. We just made some t-shirts, Right? <laughs> Uh, We have one design and three colors. Compared to God, that's just cute, right? (laughs) Uh, 
He has millions of designs in every conceivable color, plants and animals and climates and ecosystems and in certain hard-to-reach places like way under the ocean. We're still finding more. We're still finding more. We don't actually know definitively all of what God has even created. But even with all of the intricacies of each uniquely designed species, there's at least one similarity. Whether it's a maple tree or a marigold, a moose or a meerkat, a manatee, a moray eel, a mosquito, or a monarch butterfly, if they're healthy, they grow to a state of maturity, and then they reproduce. We um, read about this in the opening pages of Genesis. It's how, this is how God ordained for it to be. He made it that way with plants and animals and human beings to become fruitful and thus to multiply. And what we see from the teachings of Jesus is um, because he is the same God who created all things for his glory, the same principle holds true in his kingdom. Healthy disciples grow, and they mature, and then they reproduce. Okay? I I like this quote from Pastor Mark Dever's book, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He says, A healthy church has a pervasive concern with church growth, not simply growing numbers, but growing members. A church full of growing Christians is the kind of church growth I want to see as a pastor. Some today seem to think that one can be a baby Christian for a whole lifetime. Growth is seen to be an optional extra for particularly zealous disciples, but be very careful about taking that line of thought. Growth is a sign of life. Growing trees are living trees, and growing animals are living animals. When something stops growing, it dies. It's really as simple as that, isn't it? And yet, as Dever points out, sadly, this seems to be a basic tenet of biblical Christianity that many professing believers ignore. Perhaps thinking that their profession of faith or simply identifying themselves as a Christian is sufficient evidence that they are spiritually alive. But church, you will look in vain for that teaching in Scripture. Friends, uh, even the criminal on the cross grew as a result of his faith in his final moments. He was physically dying, and yet he was spiritually growing. Though it was not for a very short time. You might say, how? How? Well, after he clearly believed that Jesus was the Christ, he was was born again. He stopped reviling Jesus as he had been doing, and he even begins to evangelize the other criminal. (laughs) He began to put what sin that he could to death. He began to look to and talk to Jesus as his Lord and the one who could save him, not from physical death, but from the punishment that his sins deserved. Why did he do all those things? We often say he couldn't do anything. He just believed. He could do things, and he did do them. Because living things grow and reproduce as a sign of health. So I hope that I have sufficiently established that for you because we do need to move on. 
if you're with me that genuine disciples of Christ should be growing spiritually, then perhaps you're wondering where that's expounded upon in the scriptures. It's, if so, that's good because that's what we're going to look at next. The Apostle Peter, in his second letter, gives us a very helpful overview. So let me read this to you in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, pause, which is just another way to say, therefore, okay, (laughs) for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, And are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of preliminary things you should notice about this passage. Number one, as usual, the truth that motivates the therefore is the gospel. It's the gospel. Verse 4 says, God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. These promises he speaks of are promises that flow from the promise of eternal life. And we've been granted those promises because of Christ who has enabled us to escape corruption that's in the world. We escape it By faith, by trusting in his sacrifice on the cross that paid the full penalty for our sin. And then, he says, that gives us the privilege of becoming partakers in the divine nature. Now, this doesn't mean that we become divine. It means that we recover our identity as image bearers of the divine, of God, who made us for that reason, that we might glorify him with the entirety of our lives. So as always, as we've seen each week thus far, the gospel is the motivating truth of the therefore in the text. That's the first little note. You knew I was going to say that, though, if you've been here. So, uh, but then here's the, here's the second thing to note. At the end of his list of things here that lend to growth, he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that is, growing, Right? He says, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the gospel. So again, Peter is alluding back to the unspoken foundation that Jesus has laid, that effectiveness and fruitfulness is something that should be happening in our spiritual lives. Right? So um, let me just say this. It's not like your subscription services these days, okay, where they're like, tiers of commitment, right? Like, you know, like $6.99 gets you a few main features, but you're still going to watch ads, you know? Or then like $10.99 gets you all the, all the premium features, but still ads, you know? And then like $14.99 gets you full functionality, no ads. Guys, 
There is no 699 Christianity where you only have a few of the features. Like where you say you believe and you attend church services and you try not to cuss as much, right? But the premium features of serving and giving and growing, those just aren't part of your package. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. And even if it were a thing, that package would be called the pretending to be a Christian package. So don't buy that one from Timu or wish.com. It's a scam. Some things in life are worth going all in. Even paying a little bit more if you have to because it's an investment, something you're going to have for a long time. How much more so with your faith? With your faith, what you say you believe about existential, eternal realities. Go all in, man. Stop riding the fence. You want to follow Jesus, stop talking about it and be about it. And thus Peter says, so that's my translation, right? For this reason, make every effort. Make every effort to do the list of things that lead to spiritual growth. So here's the second point that we'll take away from God's word this morning. When it comes to spiritual growth, the two main factors that must be present are desire and discipline. That is, you want to grow and you're willing to work at it. Okay, so I won't spend long on the desire piece because I think I labored long enough on it last week when we talked about giving. But suffice it to say that the people who grow spiritually are the people who want to. Because true growth is not something that is drifted into by accident. It's initiated by the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us new desires and drives in conjunction with our new life. That's why Peter says in verse 3, if you're still looking at the text, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Those who have been filled with divine power, they want to grow. They want to grow. They don't want to be ineffective or unfruitful. And so I say first, The spiritual growth is something reserved for those who determine that they want it, that they want it. And past that, I can't really help you a whole lot uh, on the wanting it piece because this is where it comes down to whether or not you can be honest with yourself, which in matters of faith is sometimes tricky. Here's why. Because no one who calls himself a Christian is going to say that they don't want to grow right? No one says that. So while I think it's important to say that that desire is something that's got to be there, in other words, you got to want it, right? Usually the best way you can see that someone wants to grow is that they're willing to put in the work. They're willing to put in the work. If you haven't picked up on this from the first three messages of this series, let me just Ensure right now, none of us are under uh, the illusion that Christianity is a a cakewalk. It doesn't involve hard work. 
Following Christ requires a myriad of hard things. And again, Jesus was not unclear about that either. He literally called the Christian walk taking up our cross and following him. So if you want to grow as a Christian, that's the path. That's the path. It often takes hard, flesh-rejecting, selfishness-crucifying work. As one wise theologian said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. Okay. Hence Paul's words in Philippians 2, where he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's the wanting it and the working for it again, divinely given desire and discipline. I was talking to a brother the other day. We were talking about what kinds of books we like to read. He said he would sometimes read leadership or motivational books. I told him I do too from time to time, but I told him that I'd noticed this theme throughout these books that at the end of it, you know, they all just kind of have the same message. Get up and do it. Just do it. And then just do it again the next day and the day after that, right? Like, the secret is, there is no secret. It's discipline. You want it? Do it. Work at it. Like Shia LaBeouf. Do it. You know, like, <laughs> just do it. Most of these books identify, right? They, they identify that that's how growth happens. And while in the Christian life, some of you are like, your alarm's going off. I hear it. In Christian life, we know we can't produce spiritual growth on our own by merely white-knuckling it and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The Spirit has to do it in us. Yes, agreed. But there is still the human component of us being willing to do whatever it takes and giving it a lot of grace-driven effort. Paul says, work out your own salvation, for it's God who works in you. So it's, it's both and. If you think it's either or, you miss it. You miss it. You don't just twiddle your thumbs and wait for God to grow you by osmosis. Right? And you don't manufacture your own growth in and of yourself. God has to do it in you. It's, it's, like, it's like we enter into a partnership, right? The Lord takes us on as a fixer-upper, He's funding it and directing it and keeping it on schedule. But he has us come along in the process and get our hands dirty in the work too, right? Okay, hopefully that makes sense because once again, we do need to move on to the piece that we all want to know, which is what do we do? What do we do? How does spiritual growth really happen practically? How do we do our part and engage this is what we saw that Peter delves into in verses 5 through 7. You see, because the Lord expects our growth in grace, he has not left it a mystery, but clearly outlined the process and outcomes of maturity for the sake of our assessment. Right? He's made it clear. 
I don't, I don't know about you, but man, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. I need a lot of instructions. Okay? I had to change a fuse at my house yesterday, and I was scared to death. I had to watch like 10 YouTube videos, right? I'm glad Jesus didn't save us and then just say, good luck figuring it out. See you when I get back. No. He gave his spirit to the apostles to write down clear instruction in his word, and then he gave us his spirit too in order to rightly interpret and apply these things right and it's all there for us the gospel motivation the actual steps themselves and the outcomes that we should be seeing if we're doing it right he really has given us all things all things that pertain to life and godliness that means There's not a single thing that we need in order to grow spiritually that we don't have or that we don't know about. Okay. Well, you might not know about if you don't read your Bible, but if you read your Bible, there's not a single thing that we don't have or that we don't know about. His spirit and his word and his church are like, it's like the trust fund for God's children, right? He has set everything aside for our maturation all the way either until the end of our life or the end of the age when he returns whichever comes first come lord jesus but anyway as we move toward the conclusion today let's talk about this process peter outlines he says for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, um, here's the thing about these three verses, okay? A lot of times I think there's a temptation. I think, I don't know, I think there's a temptation to just read all that and think, ah, yes, bible words. <laughs> all good things, all good things, virtue, brotherly affection and whatnot. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> you know? And we just keep plugging away in our Bible reading plan. We don't give it more thought. We're just like, okay, there's a list, you know? Okay. Um, but Peter meant for us to stop and consider each of these things and how they relate to one another in this order. Guys, this is God's inspired inerrant word. It's not thrown together like some haphazard word salad. It has meaning, meaning that we're meant to draw out with careful consideration, right? So let's do that. Let's start with faith, because that's what Peter starts with, faith. I won't spend long here. Faith is what we've already talked about a lot. Faith, I'm just defining it as belief in the truth claims of the gospel, Okay, belief in the truth claims of the gospel. That's faith. It's, it's a heart-level trust in the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for the remission of our sin, for forgiveness and justification by his blood, for a new birth by the Spirit and eternal life at death, at the return of Jesus. That's faith. That's biblical Christian faith. But Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. He says, There's more, right? 
And then he goes into this list of seven things, beginning with virtue. What's virtue? (laughs) Virtue is like moral standards that are consistent with the biblical worldview. Virtue is the best intended design for all aspects of life that God has made clear. Kindness, modesty, purity, generosity, Charity, which is grace, prudence, or wisdom, temperance, or humility. I think what Peter is saying, because maybe you're thinking, why, why faith then virtue? I think what Peter is saying by naming virtue first after faith, I think this is what he's saying. Accept this fact. Accept this fact that if you are going to affirm Jesus as Lord and God, that he has outlined a manner of living that is both the definition of good in a moral sense and that is best for the sake of our flourishing. Accept that. Just, Just accept that. In other words, those who live a virtuous life in the Christian sense will both glorify God and they will have maximal joy. Does that make sense? He says, he's saying, like, you don't get saved... And just go on living the same way. There's a totally new system of thought to be taken hold of in Scripture. Supplementing your faith with virtue is to realize that this book, the Bible, is not meant to be a fashion accessory or a paperweight, but that you can study it and discern a totally new countercultural way of living that's actually a recovery of how God designed things to be. Right? That's virtue. But then he attaches virtue to knowledge. And what's interesting about this term knowledge is that he doesn't just mean the acquisition of information in an intellectual way. He means getting to know God. Getting to actually know God. Getting to know our Lord Jesus in an intimate relational way. This is a mind-blowingly beautiful thing about Christianity that's not true from the standpoint of any other religion. Do you know that? In most other religions, they would say that at best, it's impossible to really know God. And at worst, it's blasphemous to assume that you could. Most of world religions believe these things. But the Bible tells us that God has always desired to dwell with man for his people to know him and to love him for who he's revealed himself to be, which is in part why he sent his son Jesus to be the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, right? And so now as we abide in the scriptures, all the scriptures, particularly the gospels and these New Testament epistles, as we read, we are afforded the incredible privilege of peering into the heart and the mind of Christ, Wow. So why does Peter connect this dot of knowledge? He goes, faith, virtue, the knowledge. I think it's because he's saying, the way we go from accepting the holy standards of Christian living into actually walking them out, the way that happens, the way we recover God's good design is by getting to know him as the designer. That's how. 
That's how. And then comes what? Self-control. Self-control. This is actual implementation of virtue, holiness, right? Conformity to Christ who compels us. This is the nitty-gritty saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. And I think he puts self-control after knowledge because he's saying that only those who really have gotten to know the Lord intimately actually begin to obey him. That's who. Those who really know the Lord, those are the people who obey him. This can't be faked, at least not for long. It's putting things like anger and lust and selfishness and pride and laziness to death, right? And putting on in their place kindness and purity, a humble demeanor, a servant's heart and diligence that reflect the life of our Lord Jesus, right? As Romans 2 says, God's kindness leads men to repentance. And we experience his kindness and goodness as we walk with him and abide in him. Our repentance, it continues day in and day out. We turn away from sin and self and we turn to Christ, desiring to be more like him, right? Which leads to steadfastness. We go on in these things, not just for a day or a week, or a month, or a year, but for the rest of life. That's how it should be, Peter says. The race of faith is not a sprint, but a marathon. While we're considered positionally righteous and blameless at the moment of conversion, right? The, The moment that we believe we're justified by faith. But it takes the rest of our days to become practically righteous and blameless. And we won't be complete until we see Christ face to face. But (laughs) that's no excuse for ignoring the call to holiness and redeemed living. We are to pursue, as the late Eugene Peterson phrased it, a long obedience in the same direction. Okay, And as we do that, we grow in godliness. Godliness, this word in the text, it implies a Godward orientation to our lives. It's an increasing natural impulse to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness instead of going on seeking the earthly joys and fleeting pleasures that we once were consumed with. Godliness is defined, I think, well, by Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, right? That's godliness. And what do we need to supplement godliness with? He says, brotherly affection. These things don't come to full fruition alone, in isolation. We're not wired to grow alone. They happen as we spend time with one another. Sure, just having fun and doing nothing, but also, importantly, in environments where we make discipleship a priority, spiritual growth a priority, Sunday morning corporate worship, community group gatherings for care, men's and women's ministries, for equipping, meetings over coffee or or dinner to talk about how we're doing and to come alongside each other for mutual support and accountability. We grow spiritually with our brothers and sisters who help spur us on toward the goal, which is love. (laughs) He says, love is the final piece. 
which maybe that seems a bit uh, anticlimactic because it sounds so general, almost like a junk drawer term, like he ran out of things to say or something there. But love really is, we read, the aim of our charge, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus says that's everything. The whole law is summarized in that. And it has a lot of practical outworkings that we're going to cover in the next two weeks Okay, in this series. So I won't get all down into that today. But basically, when we really love people, we point them to Jesus. Right? We really love people, we point them to Jesus. Whether it's our spouse and our kids or someone who we just met in Starbucks, okay? Sharing the gospel for the first time with these people. We love people by giving them Jesus, both in our manner of life that aims to be like him, but also in sharing his actual message of hope, the gospel. And all of that, Peter says, we should want to see increasing, increasing. Because if it is, we're growing and we're on track towards effectiveness and fruitfulness for Christ. And then he wraps it up with this exhortation. Let me read this to you, continuing on in 2 Peter, uh, picking it back up in verse 9. He says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure... You may be able at any time to recall these things. He's saying, he's saying, listen, these things are important. These things are important. If you look at your life and you don't see these qualities, it means you may be forgetting the gospel, right? So look at your life. <laughs> look at your life. Make sure you're you're seeing these things, Peter says. He says, I'll keep reminding you of them until I die so that when I'm gone, hopefully you won't forget them. So let's close by doing what Peter would have us to do. Okay? Be honest with yourself. Are you growing? Are you engaged in opportunities for growth? And if no, why not? Why not? Guys, just like with last week, and really this whole series, um, I'm trying to shoot you straight here. I, I, really, I really have not even an ounce of desire in me to try to manipulate you or coerce you to start hurrying up, to do a bunch of you know, religious stuff out of fear. That's not my thing, okay? That's, that's not my thing as a preacher. But I do just want us to be real with ourselves. Can we do that? I'm not here to play church. I'm not here to play church. 
If church is just a Southern Sunday hobby, man, there are so many better hobbies. Things you could be doing with your time and your money. I don't know if there's another preacher in town saying this, but if if you don't really care about living your life in submission to Jesus, then why are you coming here? Why are you coming here? I mean it. Go to the beach or go on a weekend trip or just sleep in. Gosh, I know we're tired. Parents. But if this really is about Jesus, if this really is about Jesus, like if Jesus really is everything to us, if Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead and proved to be God, then we should want to be growing spiritually. And we should be working towards the goal of being more fruitful for his kingdom. We should be engaged, at least in the clear opportunities for growth that we try to facilitate as a church. Are you engaged in community group? Do you read the daily discipleship guides? Do you have a a Bible reading plan? Are you following along with the fasting guide? Are you you coming tonight of worship? Will you come to women's ministry where they're, they're reading women of the word? Or men's ministry where we're studying the holiness of God? Will you come do that with us? Will you get together with some guys or some girls every now and then and just talk honestly about not how you're doing, how you're really doing. How you're really doing. Will you do that? And ask for help and prayer? If not, why not? Do you want to grow? It, listen, here's what we, we see this in the Bible, okay? It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. If you want it, work at it. Hub City family, I, I, I mean this in love. I hope you know that. I mean, I mean this next part in love. There is more for you than for you to attend a Sunday church service every single week until you die. Jesus intended for you to grow and to bear fruit. And don't just take it from me. Take it from Jesus. I didn't say it, he did. He says in John 15, but by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So don't short-circuit your walk with Christ, church. There's always more for us. There's always more until Christ returns. The author of Hebrews, he makes a a tough indictment of some of the readers that he's writing to. In Hebrews 5, he says, By now, some of y'all should be teachers, but instead you're still infants in your faith, needing, needing to be taught the basics. Now listen, I'm not saying that about anyone 
here necessarily, but what, I'm, what I am saying is we don't want that to be true, do we? We don't want that. And so in the next year, some of you should be meeting with younger <clears throat> believers and reading the Bible with them and discipling them, right? Some of you should be teaching kids in kids' ministry or helping lead one of our serve teams or our outreach teams. Some of you guys should probably be, I'm just going to be real, some of y'all should probably be community group leaders in a year. It's true. Or have some kind of leadership. Maybe no one has ever told you this before, but you can make a big difference in Jesus' church and maybe even be a leader. It's true. It's true. You might not be called to be a pastor, but that doesn't mean you're stuck just being an observer and an attender for the rest of your life. You can grow. You can. You can grow. If Jesus is really everything to you, you have the desire and you're willing to be disciplined, you should grow. That's what we see in God's word. So are you engaged in opportunities for spiritual growth? Why not resolve, if you're not, why not resolve for today to be the day that you start? Like Jason said, there's grace. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Why not resolve today? Jesus is faithful to help us fulfill our good resolves for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for your word. God, I admit, I felt like this was a challenging word for me and for our church body, but Lord, I also just can't shake this feeling that this is the right word. This is the word that you had for us specifically today. God, maybe certain men and women in this room, they know because your spirit right now is doing what I can't. He's prompting questions and thoughts about, am I growing? What can I be doing? God, I just praise you for your faithfulness. I can't do that. And God, I have no desire to try to manipulate or co coerce. So Holy Spirit, what you do? What you do among this people, these men and women who love you? Would you do what you desire to do with your word? Would you grow us? Would you sanctify us? Help us to be fruitful. God, we don't want to be ineffective for your kingdom. We love you, Lord. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.